Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we have much to discuss today in the form of getting ready for the prospect challenge that's going to be starting up this weekend. We're going to be talking about an unfortunate signing that happened out west. We're going to be talking about an unfortunate football game that happened out east on Monday night. And we're going to talk about some unfortunate comments that uh, our owner may or may not have made. But let's get into the good stuff first, folks. The prospects have reported to Buffalo. They have taken the ice. And folks... This is a scary looking group we got here for these Sabres prospects. So let's go through some of the names that are going to be participating in the 2023 prospect challenge. Starting things off, we have Zach Benson, this year's first first round draft pick. Very, very exciting having him in the fold here. You have Philip Cedarquist. You have Alexander Kisikov. You have Yuri Kulik. You have Oliver Nadu, Victor Nuchev, Isaac Rosean, Matt Savoy. On defense, there's Ryan Johnson. We have Komarov, Lindgren. Nikita Novikov, and then in that you have Scott Ratzlaff. So there's a lot of really, really nice names that we have on this list here, including five first-round draft picks. And as I had said before, the Sabres had taken the ice today, the Sabres prospects, that is, had taken the ice today for practice. And Heather Engel, who is the Sabres correspondent for NHL.com, had reported that some of the early lines, pretty rad. You had Matt Savoy between Zach Benson and Philip Cedarquist. You had Yuri Kulik between Isaac Rosean and Oliver Nadu and Tyson Kozak centering Victor Nuchev and Alexander Kisikov. That is a nasty top three lines worth of prospects, Taylor. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild how much talent this year. I believe someone said there are five first round picks here at this yeah, five. this year camp here. That's that's uh pretty wild and, and not including plus. well i was gonna say not including some of our european friends like noah oslin too yeah yeah and a lot of second round picks here too so a lot of exciting guys i mean i it's almost insane that they have uh a borderline playoff team on the ice and also all these guys in tow it's really exciting but yeah i i was thinking about like first of all it's so cool i think the main guy everyone's looking to see more than anyone else is benson but you know savoy also i People are excited for him, but getting the first look at Benson, really not first, I guess I had prospect camp, but look at extended look Benson playing with other, you know, good young players. And then, you know, Savoy and Kulik also, but there's a, also kind of a bunch of guys here that I kind of wonder who aren't like top prospects, but I'm interested in also like seeing uh, how they've developed. Like one guy who impressed last year was Tyson Kozak and he didn't have the best year in Rochester, but there's also a lot of really good players in Rochester. So it's easy to get buried. How does he look? Uh, and other ones like Kisikov and uh, Nuchev. I haven't even thought about him, but yeah, first rounder Isaac Rosehan also here. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how those guys look as well. 
Absolutely. And that even doesn't even get to the defensive side of things, too. Obviously, Ryan Johnson, first round pick headlines the list there on the back end. But I'm also really looking forward to seeing how Matt Lindgren's game has progressed and how he's going to look this upcoming year. He's more of an offensively inclined guy. But I think that because of how good he is offensively, his skating ability, his ability to move the puck, that there could be something there if he's able to put on some some muscle and round out his game a little bit more. So I think that's really exciting. Nikita Novikov, I'm really looking forward to seeing in Rochester this year. Him, of course, obviously coming over from Russia from last season and just seeing how he's going to be able to hold his own because I think that what's nice is that on this, you know, the Sabres prospects and just in general, the Sabres blue line, there is a lot of guys who are really good puck movers and are maybe uh, a little bit more offensively inclined or have a well-rounded two-way game. And I think with Novikov, he gives you something a little bit different where it's like a big bodied physical presence on the back end. And I think that just given a lot of the things that we talk about when it comes to guys coming over whether it's from any of like the european leagues from russia even from you know in in juniors and making their way into rochester the thing we always hear is adapting to the game and adapting to the physicality and the speed and the pace i think that a guy like novikov has the ability to potentially really kind of settle in nicely with rochester this year i mean like i said he's a big boy We, we love our big boys on the back end and he's six foot four he was a sixth round pick back in 2021 but his profile has pretty steadily i would say gone up since his draft year and so I'm really looking forward to see how he's going to be able to really separate himself in Rochester and how he's going to play. And who knows, maybe we could be looking at a pairing of Ryan Johnson and Nikita Novikov at some point in Rochester, which I think would be really, really exciting to watch. Yeah, a lot of talent there, obviously. It's pretty crazy how long we've been talking about Ryan Johnson. The Sabres drafted him in summer of 2019. So to just show off how long that's been, it was literally the week after the St. Louis Blues beat Boston in the Stanley Cup. So it's been a minute. Jesus. You could say. <laughs> um, it was Lord. before Taylor Hall signed with the Sabres. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was right around. I, I think it was before we even got like um, Marcus Johansson. So, wow. Take that back right now. <laughs> uh, he, I guess another good example, he came in with Dylan Cousins. Oh, my God. It's the same draft that like Cousins, Cider, Zegris. Uh, Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes. Yep. So that, that's the draft he was in. And we're just seeing him now playing with all these young fellows, but that's all right, bud. Better late than never. Uh, still a young guy himself. Yeah. He's still only 22. Shit. I mean, (laughs) when we were draft eligible, I don't even want to say (laughs) the year I was draft eligible first, I didn't get taken. Unfortunately, the Sabres made the playoffs. So you could say it's been a minute for me as well. Uh, and the year Brendan was draft eligible, it was supposed to be the end of the Mayan calendar, and we were all supposed to die. Maybe we did. Maybe Damn. this is a nightmare, but who, who, who knows? Anyway. Wow. Well, any other thoughts on the prospects, Taylor, or anybody uh, in particular jumping out that you're looking forward to not only seeing through the challenge, you know, the, this in the, in the tournament coming up, but really this upcoming season, whether it's in Rochester or for any of their respective uh, amateur clubs? Well, two things. First, when I looked at this, I thought it'd be funny to do a bit or ignore all the good players and be like, come on out folks to the prospects challenge this week. We got Riley Fiddler Schultz. We got Ethan Medema. We got Graham Slaggart. We got Lawson Sherman. Oh, Graham Slaggart. Chris Jandrich. Yeah, baby. And of course, holding it all down in net, we got Josh Fleming. 
But <laughs> I also kind of the other thing that struck me is no Poltipov. He's the only like kind of really notable prospect I can think of that's not there. So along with Oslin, I mean, those are oh Oslin, you know, yes, Oslin yeah, that, those are just overseas yeah. obligations. Yeah, so those are the only ones. Uh, and I was surprised anyone else isn't there. I'm not. I mean, Levi, I think he showed enough. He yeah. doesn't have to come out and do this. Agreed. It, it really wouldn't have made sense for him to be there, honestly. I mean, especially when you're heading into a season where he's the presumed starter, you know, as compared to a guy like Savoy or Kulik, who are maybe vying for a roster spot or for Savoy's case to maybe get like the nine game trial. But it doesn't necessarily make sense for Levi to be there. And so I think it'll be a good opportunity to to get a look at Ratzlaff because I think that he's a guy that you know, the Sabres, we both agreed that taking Topias Linonen where they took him two drafts ago, given some of the other defensive prospects that were on the board at the time. And even there were some forward ones too, that it was just a, a bit mind boggling that even if he was the top rated goalie uh, by some folks within the draft, he still, there's just so many question marks there. It, it wasn't like he was a clear and a clear cut top goalie. And there's a lot of holes in his game. Obviously that's the case with goalies in general. They're, they're voodoo, as we always say, but Still, I didn't love the pick. I didn't love where they took him. And again, just the players that were surrounding him. However, with that being said, we'll see what happens with him. But with Ratzlaff, I think that he is a very, very high upside piece to the puzzle here. That could be somebody that could end up being an NHL goalie someday. Uh, We'll see how he does. He's going to be reporting back to the WHL. I want to say he's with Seattle. Let me see. Yeah, he's with the Thunderbirds. So yeah, he's Seattle in the WHL. So we'll see how he performs. Hey, he'll be going up against Matt Savoy and uh, and Zach Benson a few times this upcoming, upcoming season. So a lot of talent in the WHL, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to kind of tracking his progress as the season goes on and the next couple of years of his career as he continues to approach the professional stage of his career. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's it's, it's kind of interesting because there's just basically like 12 guys here who I'm like, keeping an eye on like, Hey, I wonder how this is going to turn out. I wonder like what kind of year this guy's going to have. It's not always like that. And it won't always be like that. So it's cool to have so many good young guys to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm psyched about it. It's, it's really exciting. And again, the Sabres are just in this incredible position where there's so much talent, young talent and talent in their prime on the roster right now. And there's just even more coming up through the ranks here. So it's a really good time to to be a Sabres fan, except for the fact that they missed out on a pretty uh, a pretty nice signing that unfortunately the Colorado Avalanche were able to to beat them to the punch and sign Tomas Tatar to a very very friendly one point five million dollar one year deal. I am shocked that he was able to sign for, for so low. And I get that, you know, signing with, with Colorado, he's going to a contender. He's a veteran. He's looking to be on a cup contending team. And I I completely get that, but man, Taylor, if it was for a one or two year deal, I mean, the Sabres were in a position to go up a couple million dollars over that and to really, you know, overpay for him a little bit. But you know what you're getting out of this guy. We talked about him recently and have been talking about him a bit throughout the offseason. Plenty of our our pals, 
both in the podcasting world and the media world and otherwise have all been kind of banging the table to be able to get this guy in a Sabres uniform, especially when you consider that Jack Quinn's probably not going to be playing until the turn of the calendar year. And we're at this point now that Tatar goes to Colorado on a one-year $1.5 million deal, making Colorado that much better, making their offseason that much better. And it feels like it was a bit of a missed opportunity here for the Sabres. What are your thoughts, Taylor? I feel like it was a bit of a missed opportunity, Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting with him. Like we talked about, people have talked about his playoff woes as a big issue. But for the Sabres in particular, that's not what they were worried about. They're worried about getting to the playoffs. And more importantly, they're worried about covering for, well, Jack Quinn being injured in the first part of the year. And also they don't have a lot of veterans, you know, around for the regular season. They're worried about that part first. So if he has a bad playoffs, maybe he doesn't even have to make the top 12. Like they do have a lot of forwards. So he didn't even have to play in the playoffs. If he's playing poorly, he can be a healthy scratch theoretically if everyone's healthy by that point, which, you know, that's unlikely, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It's also like, that's the worst team he could have signed with. Cause it's, I know what you're thinking like, Oh, what if he signed with Ottawa or Detroit, a team you're directly competing with, but then you know, those are kind of bozo franchises, and I don't um, – if he'd signed with Detroit, I just figured he'd go like all of their other free agent signings. Not that they have any room to sign him anyway in terms of roster spots, but Colorado, it's going to be like, ah, shit, he, it was a good idea. Colorado did it. It was probably smart. So really a good barometer with that front office over there. If Colorado does something more often than not, it's a good move. And yeah. they had a good offseason, man. I Colorado had a great off season. I, I think the Ross Colton move is really solid for them. I think for the getting him for the, the same price as Jordan Greenway. Uh, That's crazy. My, yeah. Uh, it, it hurts my heart a little bit. And I also don't hate them taking a flyer on Ryan Johansson in the way that they did. I mean, they have him for a, uh, a pretty considerable discount from what he was getting paid in in Nashville and so you're hoping that he's going to be able to bounce back and really be able to be a nice little like middle six center for you which I think is very likely just given the way that that team is built um so I also respect that they saw that Landeskog was going to be out and basically went over the cap by as much as his salary is worth Mm -hmm. or his cap hit is worth they're, yep. like, they're like, you know, we're not taking this year where we wait. Not that these guys necessarily replace Landeskog, but they didn't want to say, oh, we'll just wait out a year while he's, we'll wait out his injury. Because first of all, you don't even know if he's going to come back. He's going to have missed two and a half years. He could be a whole different guy. So right. they they definitely understand that they're in a window and all windows are limited. For sure. So. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest too. Like I, I did not, I, I like the move. I don't like the term with them bringing in Miles Wood. Six years was a little bit rich for my liking. But I think Miles Wood can fit, fill in as a nice piece on their bottom six there. And then speaking of other bottom six moves, they also, I believe, got Jonathan Druin to like a very, very team-friendly deal as well. So Colorado's looking all right. I, I mean, they're gonna be they're gonna be pretty good. And again, it's a nice rule of thumb, I think, for the most part. If you look at just their recent track record, that if Colorado goes after a guy more often than not, it's a smart move. And this was very, very much the case. And as we said, Tatar signed. In mid-September, the Sabres should have tried to have him locked up a month ago so that we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. So it's it's really disappointing, and I think it's just lending to 
some of the nerves that I have about this upcoming season. I mean, I obviously know in general, we all know that there's a lot at stake here. You have the longest playoff drought in NHL history and you're banking on a lot of guys to continue a lot of their progress and growth while hoping that, you know, they're not going to plateau. And you're asking guys who maybe aren't necessarily equipped for the positions that you're putting them in, uh, in terms of like their roles on the roster. Um, I think Casey Middlestat last year, we all know he had a great uh, overall as a whole. He had a great year and he really came on as a, a solid contributor for this team. He's going to seemingly be, at least in both of our minds, we think he should be the guy that gets the first look on the second line. But I like him better on the third line. What I hate even more than that, because I think Middlestat on the second line is passable and he could end up looking good next to, to Cousins and Paterka if that's the route that they go. But what I really, really don't like is the thought of having Jordan Greenway and Victor Olofsson on the same line. And you have to think that your fourth line is probably going to look something like Opozo, Jost, and Gergensen's leaving a third line of Olofsson, Greenway, and Krebs. And Krebs, obviously, we've talked at length about the development of his two-way game and that he really needs to be put with some skill players now to be able to try and round out more of his playmaking skills because he does have a lot of great tools that should translate into him being a point producer as well. You know, I I feel like for me, Krebs can be a, a really good middle six center that will pot you 50 points a year and give you good penalty kill time and, and be able to play strongly at both ends of the ice and kind of prop up maybe a, uh defensively challenged scoring forward let's say but when you're putting them next to two one-dimensional players as we talked about in Olafson and Greenway that makes me pretty worried and you don't really have a lot of flexibility there because the alternative is counting on a very very young Matt Savoy or Yuri Kulik to have to step into a role that maybe they're not quite ready for yet that remains to be seen. I don't know if either of those guys will get a look right off the bat out of uh, out of camp and into the regular season, but it, it just it feels like it's really a mistake going into the the off season without making one external addition to the forward group. Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, Victor Olson, congrats on having a kid, by the way. Good for you, bud. Uh, but yeah, I it's it would be tough for me too because I don't know. I I think. Olofsson and Greenway, the way they played last year, are kind of zero-dimensional players at even strength. And Greenway definitely seems like he has a potential to be better than he was. We'll see what it's like with the full offseason. But Olofsson, we kind of know the deal by now. Like, he had a nice little scoring stretch there in the middle of the season, but he's he's not really a good even-strength scorer, and he's definitely not good in his own zone. He's purely a power play guy. He's got a great shot, but unless you're putting him on the first line, he's, which you shouldn't, he doesn't really have anyone to play with to make that shot uh, very valuable at even strength. So that's worry. Well, and I think all that to say too, there is no scenario in my mind where Victor Olofsson is a Buffalo Sabre a year from now. Right. So again, you can even question the fact of having him on the roster right now in the first place definitely worries me if they're going to, because here's the thing it's like you can look at it from the perspective of being like well let's put Olafson on the second line with Cousins and Paterka Cousins will be the one to drive play Olafson rides shotgun and is able to just be a finisher there and we're going to prop up his stats and try and get some value for him at the deadline 
the thing is, is that you're trying to win games. Like you, you are in way too serious of a position right now to be having the mindset of just like needing to prop a guy up so that you can get his value up. So you can get him off the books eventually. Like, I don't know what Olafson's value would have looked like this off season, but I just, I don't love the idea of them. And not that I necessarily think they will, but I think it's a fair thing to question of them putting him in his place in the lineup, wherever that may be based on the fact of like, okay, well, we need to get this guy going so we can trade him. Not we're going to put this guy where we think he has the best chance to help this team win games, which in reality I think is on another team. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Any other thoughts on, uh, on on Tatar, anything Sabres related before we take a break and hear from our sponsors and then get into some Bills talk? No, this episode is brought to you by DraftKings. Football is back, allegedly, in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out in the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. So get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text OPEN-Y-467-369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. 888-789-7777. Visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And we're also brought to you by a little brewery you might have heard of called Thin Man Brewery. Brennan, you heard of this place? Maybe once or twice. Well, folks, the Thin Man you know, it's going to be... a uh, Maybe a different kind of Thin Man soon. Thin Man Chandler, 166 Chandler Street. Got a big announcement coming. And we can't say all the details yet. It's very exciting. But Thin Man announced yesterday a forthcoming partnership with their friends at Jackrabbit. For those unfamiliar, Jackrabbit is a bar and restaurant on Elmwood, where J.P. Bullfeathers used to be. Live music, Brendan's played there. Great late night bar scene. Great food, brunch, all that great stuff. They're partnering with Thin Man. What's going to happen? You'll find out. Don't be so nosy. You'll mm. know soon. Well but said. yeah, I personally believe it's very exciting. So, folks, that's something to look forward to. We're teasing it right now. This is Consider this a tease. You've been officially teased. I'm being teased right now, Taylor. I'm being way too teased. <laughs> yeah. Exciting, though. It's going to be really cool. And who knows? The, the good times are just going to keep rolling. Uh, but a couple other things to mention here. Thin Man will be at Borderland Festival this weekend. So that's always a good time, as I understand it. Music, beer, all kinds of good times there. Uh, and you can get your tickets right now at borderlandfestival.com. So always check that out. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this weekend. So it's coming up. Don't wait. Get your tickets. Uh and then, you know, is more Minky Day. Of course, Minky Day is 
October 14th. Uh, as another announcement for that, Minky Tango has returned. I kind of believe I said that in Monday's episode. I had a little Minky Tango on Friday. 7% sour packed with raspberry, keem lime, and tangerine. It's great. Uh, they're going to be four Minky variants, new packaging, all at Minky Day, October 14th. So get your tickets for that, too, at Thin Man Brewery. And it should go without saying, it is coming up. Opening weekend, home opener for the Bills. I should say not the opening weekend, but the home opener for the Bills means get your cool new shirt from uh, your Welcome to Hell shirt and your Pills Mafia beer. The Bills can't win unless you drink an entire 12-pack before the game and shotgun at least one of the big boys. Mm. This uh, 19 ounces. You got to do it. Otherwise, Josh Allen is just going to keep throwing interceptions. Uh, Thin Man Brewery, drink their beer or the Bills will lose. Brendan. Great segue. What the hell happened on Monday night? I had 11 beers. <laughs> it's a lot for him one day. <laughs> Let's talk about that specifically, Taylor. What were we drinking on Monday? Um, a couple of different things. Uh, my friend Tommy had like a couple, he had a lot of beer available, but I also had some blue light grapefruit. And I just, I saw the da- dashes before I went over to uh, his house. And I was like, you know what? I haven't had this all summer. So I got to have some of this while it's still decently warm out. And you know what? Things were going well at first. I mean, not for the Jets or Aaron Rodgers, but God, that was bad. And honestly, you know what? I woke up on Tuesday and I felt fine from a hangover perspective because I was just so crushingly disappointed. <laughs> I didn't have time to worry about it. I can't have a headache right now. I can't be dehydrated. I'm sad. Taylor, where do you – I mean, there's a lot that we can talk about here as to you know what went wrong. Josh having four tor- turnovers being, of course, one of the, the primary things here. It's been talked about all week by folks that – since he came into the league, Josh not only leads the NFL in total touchdowns, but he also does in turnovers as well. So it's a problem here. And I think people have called into question, myself included, Ken Dorsey within this. Obviously, Dorsey's not the one telling Josh where to throw the ball, but I think that there's a notable difference between how reeled in Josh was with Dable running the office as compared to Dorsey. I think also there was several very questionable play calls that I, I I really did not agree with on the offensive side of the ball, not to give any disrespect to that jets defense, because I think that's a top five defense in the NFL in terms of just the, the depth overall star power, all of those things. But what can, what can they do with Josh here? I, I mean, it it's just, it's wild. I think in addition to that too, the offensive line, Spencer Brown, man, we, we, we got to address right tackle like week one. And we're already saying that, you know, and I, I think that speaks to the rest of the roster that pretty much everything that everybody was saying was going to be an issue heading into this year was an issue. Spencer Brown at right tackle, the complete lack of a middle linebacker, a, a reliable middle linebacker, I should say. And then I know they added Kincaid, but Diggs feels like the only receiver that can consistently get open. And that's been the case for a few years now. And they really have not tried to take a swing to try and 
supplement the rest of the receiver room to give Josh another legitimate threat on offense. I think that Kincaid's going to grow into the role. And I think that once they are able to get some of the jitters out of the way or the chemistry issues, whatever you want to call it, that he's going to settle in and he's going to be a great piece to the puzzle here. But the offense is humming when Josh is feeding the ball to Diggs. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is not another reliable piece on that on the offensive side of the ball in my opinion in terms of like a skilled playmaker so I don't know what what are your thoughts on that word vomit I just threw at you well I think the main thing is you you mentioned up front the four turnovers that's kind of the whole story and those weren't they really weren't forced into those turnovers uh but one of them what you could say was an arm punt so whatever the other ones they were really not forced into uh it's it's uh those are just basically all Josh's fault. And I think that's people would say it's a microcosm of Allen, but it's also worth noting. So passing numbers were down last year, which is a rare thing to happen. They just, they've basically been on a straight line up from 1978 to present. So for them to be down was kind of a story. And one of the things that was going on through the season is people saying defenses adjusted by playing with two deep safeties, which cut off the deep ball. And that forces you to play the short game. And that's a problem for some people, not a problem for others, but it really doesn't have to be a problem for anyone because taking what you can get from the defense is, it's just, it's so doable. If you're a a good, smart quarterback who is accurate, which Josh can be, I mean, he's good and he's accurate. I don't know if he's, whether he's smart still, you know, remains to be seen, but it's like, we've said this before, Tom Brady made his whole career on just taking what the defense gave it not like a whole bunch of like holy shit you see that throw from Brady no they're all like seven yards at a time the guy gets some extra yards and that's it then you keep moving the ball and you could keep doing that and for the Bills that was just would have just been the smart thing to do uh Monday night and the fact that it seemed like everyone realized that but Josh is pretty disappointing and I know I have my issues with Dorsey and I in general I just don't think the offense is very talented outside of Josh and Diggs but they just they had plays where he could have scrambled for for first down or he could have hit someone Knox or in some cases Diggs just someone that was open for a short pass but the Jets were very willing to cut off their ability to throw deep and then kind of try to get intermediate too like they had five defensive backs I want to say five or six and then you have on the D line you have Quinn and Williams so like the Jets are a uniquely hard team to play but given that Zach Wilson was their quarterback it was very easy to see them, the Bills winning an ugly like 16 to six game, which is really where it seemed like we were headed for. And the fact that they didn't is uh, is mostly of an indictment of Allen over anyone else. But to get to the larger big picture things, yeah, like what I said about the offense being talented, Spencer Brown, good example. He just gets blown up constantly. You should have known that. It's year three or four or whatever year it is with him. It's it's not great. You You know what's going on there. And I'm glad they addressed the middle of the line with – uh, Torrance and, and McGovern, but like, you know, Mitch Morris is old now too. And Deion Dawkins, even though he's not old, seems to be in decline for some reason. So like you needed to do even more on the offensive line. Meanwhile, I I'm willing to see how Sherfield and Hardy work out. I'm not thrilled about either of those guys. Uh, Gabe Davis is Gabe Davis. I don't think he's a real number two. And I leads me to, if you don't have one, you have Diggs and a bunch of other guys, which can work out. Look at the chiefs last year, but I, I I think Kincaid had a perfectly fine first game. I think Knox it was fine-ish too. But 
I mean, I wouldn't say that's a huge skill. What you really need is, God, I think you need Allen to be smarter, but I really think you need a different offensive coordinator. And I also, definitely. one last thing, you have to understand what your ability to run the ball is. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can just give James Cook the ball to go up the middle with this offensive line and his skill set. I don't know. It's been like one game with him as a real starter, but God, that, that was not encouraging. And second and 15 draw in overtime, also not encouraging. So I'd say this, go beat the Raiders by like 10 or more. People will feel fine. I agree. I think that it's fair to feel a little bit nervous coming out of that game. I mean, that the fact that they couldn't beat the Zach Wilson-led Jets is just deeply alarming, and, and the mistakes were bad. But it was game one. The Bengals and Chiefs lost, too, and I don't think anybody's punting on those seasons either. So I think it's going to come with time, and they can clean their act up here a little bit. Yeah, beat the Raiders, get back on track, right the ship a little bit, and and everything will be fine. But, man, oh, man, there are some glaring holes there that it makes you wonder. Like, I don't know. I know that they just got their extensions this past offseason, and I don't mean to get ahead of myself or anything like that. But, like, let me put this at you. Is a missed playoff appearance mean that one of Beaner McDermott's not here next year? But probably more accurately, doesn't mean that Dorsey's not here next year. I mean, if they're really on their way to missing the playoffs, why are you keeping Dorsey all season anyway? Don't let Dorsey ruin the season. You have Joe Brady. You have Monsett. This is a huge luxury. You don't just have a guy you can replace him with. You don't have just Anthony Lynn or someone like that. You have the guy who is the architect of the greatest college football offense of all time. I know you had a lot of talent there, but, like, give him a shot if, if Dorsey's really not working out. Like short leash on this guy it's you're trying to win a super bowl but to act your actual question i don't know if a playoff miss i don't really know what it means and it the thing with a lot of bills fans i'd say since like the middle of 2021 have been souring on mcdermott and i understand that definitely and i think you should you should be have high expectations for your coach the problem is i think it's easy to forget especially once they got good in 2020 you're just in the the good football vortex of feeling good about things in your ability to replace someone or change this or that. Well, let me tell you something. You know what happened if McDermott got fired in, in most uh, realistic NFL scenarios is that the GM stays and a GM like Brandon Bean gets to hire a second head coach. I'm doing air quotes right now because he didn't actually hire McDermott. He got brought on by McDermott, very unusual situation. So that would be the normal thing to have Bean move on and GMs. I think unless they do a horrific job tend to get multiple head coaches. Usually two. You fail with two, and then that's that. And you both get fired, and everyone starts over. Me- but, oh, sorry, just, just to finish that. That's what would happen. And in my opinion, and it's easier to forget about him because you don't have to see him all the time. You don't have to see him on the sidelines. You don't have to worry about this player or that player not going for fourth down or kicking a field goal here or there. You don't have to worry about any of that with Brandon Bean. You don't have to think about that. But if you do think about it and you look at the jobs respectively that him and McDermott have done, McDermott is a better coach than Bean as a GM, at least so far. Well, and, and that was going to be my question to you is yeah. in a worst case scenario, say that this season, and I don't think it will. I still think that this is a playoff team here and I think that they're going to get it together and Josh is going to settle in, but say things go nuclear, say they miss the playoffs, say Miami wins the division and God forbid the Patriots finish ahead of the bills. If you are Terry Pagula and one of those two needs to go which of the two are you firing 
That's a that's such a good question. I kind of think you would just an easier opportunity theoretically with firing McDermott because you could just hire an offense first head coach, which to be honest, that's really what I want. That's what they like, should do anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. So the problem is there is that still leaves you in the bad situation of Brandon Bean being kind of a questionable GM. And I think, look, just look at the defense now, especially if the defense is good again this year, even though we've had our ups and downs with defenses, aside from the first half of 2020 and some spotty moments in 2017, uh, the defense overall has been really good since, since Bean and McDermott took over. And here's the thing with that. Hoyer, Hyde, Trey White, Matt Milano. You know how many of those guys Brandon Bean bought in? Zero. Those guys were all brought in by McDermott via his draft in 2017 when he ran the draft and Doug Whaley just kind of sat there and watched. And the free agency period where Doug Whaley was pretty clearly not in charge anymore. Those guys all came in with him. And Edmonds, granted, Edmonds had a really good year last year. That was his first, like, really standout year. He wasn't bad before, but it wasn't great. So it's like, you're kind of left wondering, like, what the hell has, like, Brandon Bean been up to? And, I mean, look at the drafts he's had. Now, you can say he brought in Von Miller, but, like, come on, man, I could have brought in Von Miller. I knew Von Miller was good. I would have given Von Miller that contract. Besides that, it's like Rousseau. Rousseau looks okay. He had a good game on Monday. He hasn't been really a first-round pick level. Good Kyrie Allen was scratched. Boogie Basham's gone. Then you look at the offensive side. Cody Ford's gone. Gabe Davis has been really solid for a fourth-round pick. But, I mean, what else have they done receiver-wise? Like, he brought in Beasley and Brown. That was a good offseason. Then they kind of – those guys fell apart. Last year they had problems at receiver, and they said, shit, what should we do? And they just brought in Beasley and Brown again. (laughs) and they were both old so there's just a lot of and i know he's had good draft picks too but i mean take a look back at those 21 and 22 drafts and 2020 not all that great either and you could say like yeah he's better than what we've had but i don't know if he's super bowl level good which really makes me brings me to the other point like what does that mean that's what i meant about like you being in your like i'm believing in myself and my team, good football vortex, a good feeling vortex for the first couple of years, especially of 2020. It makes you forget that this team is still owned by Terry Pagula. I don't know if this is a good segue, but uh, this like, he's still the guy that would have to come in and hire a GM. And I think our luck might be running out on that front because with the way that things have gone well for the sales Sabres and bills recently, it's been, he brought in McDermott, potentially because he just liked McDermott was a high school and college wrestler. And that worked out really well. McDermott brought in Bean happily ever after for now. And then he just kind of liked Kevin Adams. So he's like, all right, Kevin Adams, you have the job. (laughs) You know, he should not obviously shouldn't really have given Kevin Adams a job. It's worked out really well, but I don't think he knew that. That's a real, both of those are real bad process, good results turnout. So that's what I mean by being worried. Like, yeah, I, I kind of see the potential in the future for moving on from being in McDermott, mm-hmm. but it's scary. Totally is. It, it is because again, yeah, a lot of that does come back to, do you trust the guy at the top to hire the right people and to bring in the right guys? I mean, you can't deny like three division titles in a row. You, you got to give McDermott his credit there, but you also need to acknowledge that this guy has repeatedly, crumbled in the big moments 
Yeah, that's the big thing. He's had the opportunity to learn from these mistakes, and he has not. He has made, obviously, different games, different game situations. He has made, overall, though, the same kind of mistakes in these key spots here. And I think another reason why I think that it makes sense to, if you were to cut bait with one of them, that you would keep being around over McDermott is the fact that yes, for one, like it would be nice to have, uh, have an offensive minded head coach. That way you don't have to worry about continuity. Should you have a offensive coordinator move on to get a head coaching gig somewhere? Pretty much how like the New York giants are set up, how Kansas city is set up, how uh, Jacksonville is now going to be set up with, with Peterson there how the Eagles are now set up. Like you kind of have that in place and the bills don't have that. And that is absolutely, I I think where the NFL is, has been headed. I mean, there's no getting around it. Like, and McDermott just has not been able to hack it in those moments. I think additionally, I would trust having Bean be the one to kind of lead the way with hiring a head coach as compared to having Terry have to hire a general manager, you know, because you'd, you'd think in that scenario, should McDermott stick around say um, that he would be the one leading the way with that. But I would feel more comfortable having Bean being the guy picking a, a new head coach Because, again, I mean, we'll see how this year goes, but it's been three years worth of no Super Bowls. And while breaking the drought has been great and and winning the division titles has been great and the consistency and building a winning culture here has been great, falling short of your goal when, let's be real here, like, yes, Brandon Bean for sure has not made some of the substantial additions that we've needed him to, but this has been a roster for three years now that has been capable of winning the Super Bowl, and they haven't, and that is Sean McDermott. That's yeah. what it comes back to for me. And Patrick Mahomes. Well, yeah, but Sean McDermott. Yeah, I, I agree because I think it's such a weird thing that I actually think in the regular season they're not – for the most part, they haven't been underachieving it. And that in, even like early on, especially 2017 and 19, I think they kind of overachieved record wise because he, I think that he's much better in the polar opposite of the previous two dumbass coaches and having the team really prepared for games. And because of that, they haven't been surprised a lot. They haven't been blown out a lot. They've been right there all the time. And in fact, they've taken some other teams by surprise. Uh, and even in the last few years, I think in general, aside from 2021, their record has usually been a little bit better than I think it than their talent level. The thing is with McDermott and it's weird because it's not every playoff game, but it's a lot of them. Like go back to 2019. Like they blew that game against the Texans 2020. It was too close against the Colts. I was at your house. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the Ravens one was good, but you know, still also pretty close. Then they get destroyed by the chiefs the next year. Massacred the Patriots. We all love that. That's great. No complaints. 13 seconds happens after that. I don't, I still don't know exactly who to put that on. I, it could be Frazier, it could be McDermott, it could be the weird communication on, about kicking off her squib. Is it? <laughs> Do we think that, like, here's the thing. There's a squib it's McDermott. thing. McDermott. Which... How, how could it not be? Well, I'm sorry. Frazier's the defensive coordinator. Yeah, he's the head coach, though. And do you really like I'm, I don't we obviously don't know, like the full parameters of like what that looked like, that relationship between the two of them, especially considering how 
his departure this offseason felt really weird. But like, come on, man, he's the head coach. Well, you yeah, so a, I, I think he wears it like in, in, in when they get blown up by the Chiefs and they get blown up by the Bengals. He wears that definitely. But in like in a game like that, that's what I, I was thinking about this today, how the Bills used to have a crazy amount of leaks and then a certain team president got fired, Saber Sue, and and then they stopped having leaks. And then I just have a stunningly small or non-existent amount of leaks that is almost bewildering because because of that, I find it hard to know who exactly to assign blame to in 13 seconds because we don't, like you said, we don't really know how much of the defense was McDermott and how much was Frazier. And I, the fact that they separated this offseason makes me think at least a little bit like Frazier got to do what he wanted to do on defense. And that kind of makes me blame what him. What makes you feel that bit. way though? The fact that they parted makes me think that either McDermott was coming down on Frazier, like I want to make changes or Frazier or McDermott was like, I don't want you here anymore, but I don't want to fire you because it didn't happen right after the season. Right. Ended. So it, it makes me think that it started with off season stuff like, Hey, we're going to change some stuff or Hey, this is going to be different. Or he already had it made up in his mind that he wanted to take over defensive play calling and that Frazier wanted out. Um, but yeah, so that's, I just think in 13 seconds in general is it, Frazier is also interesting because the Bills gave up, like I said earlier, that they've had a good defense since he came in. The Bills have given up by far the least amount of touchdowns, if that's the metric you want to use for good defense mm-hmm. since he took over. But you can't be happy with the way their defense has played in big moments. Nope. And I, I throw blame for to both of them on that. I mean, McDermott is the head coach. Uh, but yeah, what I, what I was going to say with McDermott, the point I was really making is you have all these games. I don't even know how much I even want to count the Skylar Thompson to a game. I kind of kind of throw that as an Allen issue, but whatever. Uh, I think McDermott in the Bengals game, the Chiefs game, definitely. The AFC Championship Chiefs game. The Texans game, we'll count that too. If you have these big moments, I know it's, there's so few of them, but like that matters that you just your team comes out and gets its ass kicked. The Bills were not substantially worse than the 2020 Chiefs. The Chiefs went to the Super Bowl and got their ass kicked. I know like their left tackle tore their ACL at the end of the the Bills game, but you have that. You have like this Bengals game. The, the, were they better? The, were the Bengals that much better than the Bills that came to Buffalo and kicked their ass like that? I mean, it's kind of crazy. So I think even if like. McDermott mostly does the right things in the regular season. He mostly challenges at the right times. He mostly, even though he doesn't have this reputation, goes forward on fourth downs at the right time. It's there's all these things he does, right. And people seem to like him. I don't know. Like I said, there's no leak. So it's hard to tell what people really think, but yeah, that's, you can't, you just can't lose in the big moments. And that's where as a sports fan, you want to say as someone with standards, we need, you did a good job. We need someone that's going to do a great job. And you whites want to say the same thing about Brandon Bean, but it's, it's so hard to do that when like, I wish I was the one hiring. Yeah. I wish I was in charge, but I'm not, this guy's in charge. And I don't, I don't trust Terry Pagula as an owner. I know this good feelings and winning is supposed to cure everything, but they haven't won enough in the playoffs and the Sabres haven't actually won anything yet. So I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to be like, he's actually worth uh, trusting in this situation, well, which makes me worried. But on the other hand, you can't just be worried. If they have a bad year. You can't just waste Josh Allen's era being scared that Terry Pagula is going to screw it up. Well, speaking of Terry, Terrence, Terathan, Pagula, some not great news came yeah. out, folks. Some very terrible alleged comments being attributed to Terry Pagula. 
Do you have the quote handy, Taylor? Yes. Just one second. I have yeah. a Buffalo News article here. Yeah. Uh, to they that, and again, this is so. This is like 2020. So it's after the George Floyd stuff. After that whole summer, this is September 2020. It's supposed to be at a meet a Zoom meeting with owners and other NFL employees. He said that unhappy black players should go back to Africa and see how bad it is. Uh, this was according to a lawsuit filed by Jim Trotter. So he was an NFL media reporter, and with he basically what he's alleging is a another reporter saw that happen in the zoom meeting and told him about it. And then he brought that up uh, through the proper channels to have it investigated. And according to him, nothing happened. And uh, so he also later was let go. And that's what this lawsuit is about. Generally is he, he's a discrimination lawsuit. He feels he was let go for these reasons that he was bringing up these issues. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really not great. Obviously, there's a lot of he said, she said going on here. And let's uh, I don't know if you have it handy. I can pull it up really quickly. But the Sabres and Bills both put out a statement from Terry Pagula in the aftermath of, of this all coming out. And it reads as follows. The statement attributed to me and Mr. Trotter's complaint is absolutely false. I am horrified that anyone would connect me to an allegation of this kind. Racism has no place in our society, and I am personally disgusted that my name is associated with this complaint. Makes sense that you would get a statement pretty quickly disputing this. Um, And again, we don't know the full on validity because of the fact that there is no recording of it. We don't know who was the one who initially brought this up. But I do think that important context for all of this, there is that just brain meltingly stupid comment that he made to Byron Brown and Ted Black that they should switch last names. Not to mention, he does have a track record of not being the best with a microphone in front of him and making head scratching comments, I guess we can call it, along with some other decisions that we can look back on over the past few years. But I don't know. It's it just regardless. It's just if if it is true and he did say that, I mean, man, oh, man, that is just horrifically bad and stupid and misguided and obviously racist. And I, I, I just don't know really what what more there is to say about it other than it's abhorrent if it actually was said and those words did come out of his mouth. Yeah, I should also say that I should clarify that I misspoke here. Uh, so this the comment allegedly happened at a dinner in 2018 uh, and Trotter learned about it. Uh, another NFL media reporter mentioned it on a company wide zoom. That was in September, 2020. That's, so the, okay. Yeah. So my pick take on this, obviously it's a terrible, ridiculously terrible kind of on its face. That it doesn't even need to be explained. You know how, what a bad thing that is to say. Uh, but my take on, I guess, where things are going to go from here is that I don't know if that could go anywhere. I kind of, I think you, I don't, I don't know if you alluded to that, but kind of said that there's no recording of it. The thing is, they, the investigation, the NFL, you know, quote unquote, did their investigation on it already, and I don't know how much you can trust those things. Like we, we all remember the Ray Rice thing and everything that happened around yeah. that. Uh, but if it happened at a dinner where there's no recording, and According to a league source uh, that talked to the Buffalo News, they there was interviews with Terry and Kim Pagula, who both denied the statement, and every other person that was known to be at the dinner 
said that this it didn't take place. So if no one's willing to say it happened, then I just don't see how anything else can come of it. And now that he's denied it too, I mean, unless there's some other proof that that comes up at some point or someone says, no, he actually did say it. Uh, I don't really know what else could come of it potentially. It's just kind of a, you know, just a, I don't know how to put it exactly, but uh, I guess the the word, pe- the phrase people use is a he, sh- he said, she said matter. But yeah, there's nothing really else that could happen now, in my opinion. I don't know, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't know really where I can go from here. I guess we'll see what happens with the lawsuit and how that ends up transpiring. But yeah, oof, yeah, it's it's not great. Not great. Yeah. Well, but it, you know, I guess it's it would not be surprising to me if Terry Pagula just said something stupid because that's just kind of what he does when he talks. Sad but true. Well, Taylor, do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off? Uh, I was gonna say go Bills. They haven't earned that yet, so well I'm gonna done. say go Vols. Nicely done. Nicely done. Well, can also shout prospects. Out, oh, true. Yes. Shout out to our former guest and full-time liaison, Yvonne, for calling it a WGR after the Bills game. That was amazing. Pouring yeah. his little heart out. We it love was, that. It was inspiring. It, it gave hope to many. Yep. I think Yvonne goes on the uh, WGR caller, Mount Rushmore, right next to Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Taylor, any last thoughts you'd like to share? Nope. All right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective website. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And, of course, make sure you're following them on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us, Straight Up Sabres, at Straight Sabres on Twitter. And whatever app you are using to listen to this app, make sure you are either following or subscribe to us on your preferred streaming platform of choice, as we'd very much appreciate it, and leave us a nice little rating or review in the process. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsors. We love them, folks. Don't we love our sponsors? We love DraftKings Sportsbook, that promo code THPN. Use that at checkout and take advantage of great deals. And, of course, Thin Man Brewery. Make sure you're heading over to Chandler Street. Take advantage of some good food, some good drinks. Wherever you're buying your your beer at, make sure you're picking up your Thin Man beers as well. We'll be back with a brand-new episode on Monday, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. This has been Straight Up Sabres. 